Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.
Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Coming at you with another Thursday breakdown here with the Ginger Gunslinger. Jacob, how are you doing? Uh, doing well. Doing well. Uh, and this week, we had a unbelievable episode. But by the way, dude, how are you doing, man? You you, I'm, you look a little sickly. We're in a hoodie. It's it's, 90, it's 95 degrees outside. Well, we're having problems with these cameras overheating, so the room is incredibly cold right now. Ice cold. <laughs> Get the fan per- Perfect weather for the uh, Ginger Gunslinger. So... <laughs> Love it. No, uh, no, super excited. So this episode, uh, this week, we dropped a uh, a really exciting episode, uh, kind of a roundtable where we had some absolute killers on the podcast, uh, starting out with Jeremy Aaron from Do It Yourself Hunter on YouTube, Jonathan Moreland, who's a fan favorite podcast guest from Arkansas, Scott Seals from Alabama, who's been on the podcast quite a few times, and then Carl Brown and Daniel Lemon, Daniel Lemon, Daniel Lemon from uh, Do It Yourself Hunter. So... It's uh, just a crazy, just crazy roundtable. And actually, you're going to hear Carl in an episode come up here in, in a couple weeks uh, yep. on the podcast. But, um, dude, it was just crazy. You had all these killers in one room, and we kind of talked all things really flatland river bottom hunting for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. Just super fascinating. But uh, what, what was your overall first impressions? Because, dude, first off, they didn't see this behind the scenes, but we had dinner, kind of hung out with the boys. You know, cracked yep. a few beers before we yeah. got started. And you were joking with them when we got started because – all their like significant others were there. I mean, yep. like Jeremy's wife was there, uh, Jonathan's girlfriend was there, uh, and it's like everybody's like hanging out behind the cameras. You can't see them in, in the video. But my, my in-laws were like the Southern Outdoorsman support staff. They yeah. made steaks for everyone. Yeah, cooked yeah. dinner. It was awesome. But yeah. it was it uh, it, it was uh, funny because you brought up really early uh, before we started recording. Like, hey guys, you know we got we got enough uh, card space on these cameras and the recorder to go for like five hours or something like that. And everyone was like, "What?" Everyone was like, huh? Oh. Yeah, yeah. All the, I'm like, I don't think you understand. Yeah, all, all the wives and girlfriends were like, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, I'm like, we're not necessarily going to go that long, but we could. Uh, Tiffany knew. She yeah. was sitting in the back. She knew. She's like, yep, we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun because that was almost like a semi-live podcast because we had an audience the whole time. But uh, Oh, yeah. It, uh, it, 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 I thought it turned out awesome. I mean, it was really cool to kind of get the dynamic with – all these different guys kind of going back and forth. It actually it made our jobs pretty easy because it was kind of fun, kind of open yeah. conversation, letting everything roll. And it was like, you know, they all had different thoughts on different aspects of, you know, what makes them successful. And uh, that it, it that's kind of cool like, that, that's like exactly what I wanted to happen in this podcast. And that's pretty much what happened immediately. Immediately. Jer- Jeremy just started asking Jonathan questions. And like, I just kicked back. I saw it in the video. I kicked back and I looked at you. I was like, this is good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, there, there was a point when we were having dinner because we ate before we did the podcast. And they started like asking some pretty good questions back and forth. I'm like, hold that, like, don't stop, like, save it for the podcast. Don't talk <laughs> about that right now. I want, you, I want your curiosity to come out on the podcast, and yeah. it really did. It turned out really good. And also, just as a li- as a, a point of note for all the listeners out there, you actually go to YouTube. You can watch that video, uh, watch that video podcast, and I highly recommend it because the video podcast is really cool because you get to see the dynamic with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just adds a different flavor to the podcast, which I really like. And yeah. this episode is on YouTube as well. So and you might notice the studio has been spiced up just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Buddy Ryan Kirby uh, hooked us up with uh, both uh, – What? let me read them again. we got the growth, the growth and maturity of the whitetail buck and uh, the anatomy and physiology of the whitetail buck. It's pretty, they're pretty sweet. Yeah, they uh, look good. I was, I was very impressed with how they look. I got to go up and tour uh, Ryan's studio mm-hmm. up in North Carolina, and oh, my gosh. That place is awesome. It's, it's, that yeah. is so cool. You're getting to see like where he does all his stuff and everything. He's got the he's got the setup. And I, we recorded a podcast, which will be on the his podcast feed called "The Art of Hunting." And uh, in that one, 
we talk a lot about the Southern Outdoorsman, actually, and kind of where we came from and, and how this, this whole thing started and, and kind of our story as, I mean, as need, a business I and need, a podcast. I, I need to listen to it because I want to see what kind of lies you put out there. <laughs> well, I was talking some smack. Oh, man. I was like, I'm, a, I'm the brains behind this whole operation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But well, yeah, y'all can go check that out on his podcast feed. Uh, it should be out by the time this drops, I believe. So yep. it's a, that one's on YouTube as well. He, he does uh, filming. We talked a lot about filming these things. It is a whole... A whole nother thing trying to film a podcast, yeah. especially with multiple camera angles. That that was another thing about this round table that all the guys got to see was uh, us setting up all of our crap. Like yeah, lighting. We we brought in a whole truckload of stuff and they're like, Good grief, do y'all like carry this around everywhere? And we're like, Yes, we do. Yeah. Now now we do actually. Yeah. <laughs> Full production team. You're looking at the production team right here. Yep, that's right. So but uh <laughs> but no, it, it was really interesting. So like right off the bat, you know, we in, in the episode we really kinda hit hard uh with Jonathan, and you know Jonathan's been on the podcast a few times, but we really kind of d- dove even deeper on some of the feature aspects of like how he goes about paying attention to some of this. But anyways, we're trying to pay. We we really kind of dove deep on, on the feature aspect with Jonathan, and it was kind of interesting. Uh, after you know having him on, also hearing him speak at the Mobile Hunters Expo uh, with his seminar, there's things that he's he mentioned in this episode that we haven't really covered before. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- one thing that I thought was really interesting that he kind of mentioned pretty early on, he calls it the ice cream tree. It's like the, the ideal tree that he's looking for. And one thing that he's talked about, uh, especially recently, both in seminars but also on this episode, is when he went from hunting with a compound bow to now a traditional bow, whether he's using his long bow or a recurve. Um, He's he's really significantly cut down his range that he can shoot. Where back then he might would set up on a couple different features where he can shoot 50, 60 yards and feel comfortable doing so. To now, you know, he's wanting that deer, and he talks about all the time. I want that deer at 12 yards. He's like, I can shoot a little bit further, but I want him at 12 yards. 12 yards, he doesn't have a chance. He's going to get killed. And uh, you know that it was just interesting because when he talked about his ice cream tree, and this is something I really wanted to kind of mention early on this podcast is, you know, when he's hunting, you know, these areas of Arkansas, you know, flat river bottom, there's there's a ton of different feed trees. Um, and he's kind of talking about, like, what makes one tree better than the other in different species. Um, and he mentioned, you know, persimmons, different oaks, along with um, the honey locust, um, which produces like a bean pod that we kind of talked about in the episode that the deer will eat as well. But that ice cream tree being the tree that's closest to that thick bedding cover, and it, it may not even have to have the most feed sign, but as long as it has some feed sign and buck sign close to it, that's the tree more than likely based off his experience. And he talked about this in the episode. That's the tree that that bucks, the big buck's going to come to first before he decides to feed out into the more of the open areas and feed under some other feed trees. Um, and I thought that was just really interesting. And again, how he kind of scouts for those spots and kind of uses almost like an annual pattern on what trees have been hot and what trees he wants to kind of go back to year after year and check them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a fun conversation, especially with Scott being there, because at the time we recorded this roundtable, we were like a week out from when we recorded with Scott on the Hill Country Feed Tree thing. Yep. And getting getting that dynamic was interesting, and it was fun hearing Jonathan talk about that, because that whole ice cream tree uh, theory or whatever to me reminds me a lot of what Scott does. Yep. It's reminded me of what Scott's doing with like skinny little SMZs, hardwood bottoms, and in pine country, where, like you were explaining to, I guess was it Carl yesterday or or no, it was uh it was the uh, mobile hunter guys, mm-hmm. um you were explaining to them that in these SMZs there'll be like two oak trees, you know, and and maybe one of them's dropping or maybe there's two dropping, yeah, but, but it's not like but there's, there's hundreds, there's not like hundreds of trees there, and you're hunting like a very isolated tree, and you're just trying to find that right one, and Scott really talked about the same stuff. And another thing that they both talked about was 
finding a tree, once you find a feed tree, you can go back to that feed tree year after year and check it. And it's like maybe every like third year that tree is good. Yeah. And Jonathan also talked a little bit about, I believe where he killed that really big buck, uh, that tree hasn't been that great since. Like yeah. he keeps going back because he wants to hunt it because he killed like a, how big was it, 180-inch deer there? Something like that. Oh, no, this is the public land deer. I, I don't know how big it was, but it's the, uh, what What do you call that deer? I, keep, I want to say Medusa, but it's not Medusa. Um so really it's, big buck. It's a big, non, crazy, non-typical yeah. deer. But yeah, he's like since he shot that deer in like 2016, 17, whatever, he's gone back every year. And it's it's not been hot since. Yeah. Um, but he keeps checking it because he knows that eventually it's going to pop hot one yep. of these years. Maybe it's this year. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe it's, it's overdue. Yeah, absolutely. You know. But but once you know where they're at, you can return to them year after year and, and make your you can run that circuit exactly like what Scott was talking about on his episode. And I think Scott talked a little bit about it on this roundtable. But once you know where they're at, you can establish that that circuit, and you can go and just check all these trees and be super efficient. Because like, like for me, I don't I don't have like established feed trees that I that I know about that I can go check out. But over the years, as I start to learn new areas and I start building that that I don't know data log of where all these trees are. Imagine how efficient you could be if you get two Saturdays in September before season opens, and you just run that circuit of trees and you're like okay i'm gonna go check this 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 and you go straight to the trees see what they're doing and then get out yeah and, and, to and be, that's your scouting and if you looked at like what scott seals is doing with that hill country episode we did hill country feed trees versus what jonathan's doing scott has a lot he, he has a lot of ground he's got to cover but it's not like he's having to check thousands of trees yeah like again it's like each of those little smds will have a couple oaks you gotta check um, versus like Jonathan, it's like, to me, Jonathan, it, it's, it's almost, uh, like Scott mentioned in his episode, it's almost gotten easier because like you're going to very specific locations, checking very specific trees yep. and you don't have to necessarily wander around. Like it's, you're walking, walking up the SMZ, SMZ, you're checking the trees, you're packing back out, going to the next SMZ, you just keep doing that little thing. Mm-hmm. Versus Jonathan, it's more like, to me, there's a little bit more of a wandering aspect of it. Yeah. Of like, where's the thick cover at? Like, where's these deer going to be bedding out in these like river bottom kind of, you know, areas. And then what are all the feed trees in that general area that they could potentially feed on, you know, within, mm-hmm. within a couple hundred yards of that thick cover uh, and having to check all that. So um, it, it, it may be that it's kind of like, if you think about it, in Scott's original episode we did with him, uh, again, on the Hill Country feed trees, he talked about when, you know, this piece of public land used to be a lot more upland hardwoods. Yep. And at that time, it was a, a lot more like you had to cover so much more ground in order to try to find the tree. Yep. Versus now it's not. And it's like Jonathan's kind of doing what Scott used to have to do, but doesn't have to do anymore because of mm-hmm. how the property sets up. Um, so, yeah, that, it's it's really interesting, that kind of dynamic. And, you know, he, he give tips that, you know, he's talked on the podcast before, but I always thought was interesting because uh, him and Jeremy had a little kind of going back and forth on this with the uh, persimmons and how oh, yeah. how attractive persimmons are. And, you know, he, he'll walk up and, you know, if the persimmon tree is hot and he's hunting the persimmon tree. And he's talking about persimmon trees. Like, when he was talking about big persimmon trees, like a big persimmon tree for me is probably like, I don't know, maybe like 12 inches diameter. Yeah. And he's talking about finding some that are like 18 to 24 inches or bigger in mm-hmm. diameter, which I've never seen one that big. Have you? No, I found one at the club last weekend that was pretty, is probably one of the biggest persimmons I've ever found in Alabama, mm-hmm. but it's probably about that big around. Yeah. Like roughly. 18, 18, 19 inches in diameter. Yeah. Um, and it's got persimmons in it. Oh, does it? Oh, yeah. So well, I mean, too bad now, the season won't be season yeah, won't open it, when they're dropping. They're going to drop, and I'm not going to get to hunt it because we don't open until October 15th. We might open October 14th this year. I can't remember. Um, but that whatever's third Saturday in October. Mm-hmm. 
or second Saturday in October. Um, but it will be a good camera spot. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. It'll be a great camera. And we got a camera on a creek crossing right next to it right now. But I think one, maybe I was telling Mike that when it gets to be a little bit closer, maybe September, maybe late August, we'll, we'll go shift that camera onto that persimmon when it starts dropping just to see who's in the neighborhood. You yeah. Know? See what, see what's coming through. No, another thing with Scott, uh, well, not, I'm oh, no, sorry, not with Scott, um, but with Jonathan. That actually is a little bit different from what Scott does and even some of these other guys. He's talking about running trail cameras on these feed trees. Yep. And it seems like he's kind of putting some of these out, especially like in August, like right when, you know, maybe, you know, you might have a storm come through and knock out some persimmons or something yeah. like that. Like they're not quite dropping, but they're getting there. Yep. And having cameras strategically in different spots, again, close to that, some of that thick cover that's on a good feature. You're putting cameras out and they kind of check them every, what was he talking about? Every seven days roughly is what he wanted to check them on. I think so. It, like pretty, because you got to stay on top of the feed trees, yeah. you know, and that's another thing that Jonathan said. He's, he said that some of these trees are going to be hot for like 20 days. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky and it's a really good tree. A lot of them aren't though. Yeah. A lot of them just don't last that long. And so you got to be on top of it. Like you've got to prioritize it and like be out there and get on top of those things. And that's what he's talking about with the trail cameras too, is like, you got to, you got to, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's when it comes to checking those and, and staying on top of them. Cause it might be hot today and the next Saturday. And that's the, that's the hard part about being a, a weekend warrior. You know, most of us can only hunt on Saturdays pretty much. Yeah. And you know, you find one on Saturday you come back the next Saturday and it's not hot anymore, and mm-hmm. you got to relocate. But sometimes it is, you yeah. know. Sometimes it is. So I, you just gotta, you gotta go out there and check them, I guess. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I, I go back to that one that you found in that <laughs> running buff gap, and uh, I don't like to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> Scott's like, "What are you doing, man?" Scott's like, "Oh yeah, that's a spot where you'd kill a huge buck out there." <laughs> like, yeah, uh, that yep. would make me feel better. <laughs> good, good to know. Um, and, and also another thing that was this interesting dynamic is just while we're talking about the features is Jonathan talking about, I think Carl at Carl Brown asked him, you know, if you looked at, at all points of the season, when you're killing a lot of your deer, especially on feed trees, what time of day is it? And Jonathan was absolutely the last 30 minutes of light. Like yeah. those evenings is like by far the best. And it's kind of interesting because again, it, that's traditionally what we've heard. Like on feed trees, mm-hmm. it's like, it's an evening thing, evening thing. Mm-hmm. And then you know, we've had Scott on in Hill Country, and he's talking about, like, he really likes those, you know, getting in the morning, not, you know, just after, you know, gray light, or getting in in gray light when the deer hopefully kind of ease back into, you know, getting some of those pines and killing bucks early season, mid-morning up until, like, maybe early afternoon, yeah. early season. But it kind of goes back to Jonathan and, like, where he's at. And, again, traditionally, you know, that flat country, it's like you don't know exactly where those deer are because there's so much feed trees, there's so much – stuff everywhere mm-hmm. it's like you can't pinpoint like oh i know these deer kind of like scott's saying i know these deer are gonna be down these bottoms feeding up until right around gray light they're gonna ease back in the woods you can't really do it in the river bottoms where it's all flat there's feed trees everywhere there's thick cover kind of sporadic throughout the whole thing and again kind of going in the evenings just makes sense but he mentioned and this is something i was gonna pitch over to you about hunting those secondary trees in the morning oh yeah it's like i'm not gonna give up a morning hunt. if i have a morning to hunt in october I'm not going to not go, Yeah, but I'm not going to go to that ice cream tree, like that, that top of the top tree and potentially risk busting a buck out. But I'll go to a secondary tree, which is a tree that's still dropping. It's got good sign under it, but maybe it's not as prime of a location as that ice cream tree. And that's oh, yeah. what he'll hunt on a morning hunt. I, I could not love that anymore because it's just a, it's like a wise use of your time. You know, that that's the main thing that's bothered me about people saying don't hunt early season mornings or, or you know, like, in October, don't hunt mornings, like, at all. 
And I'm like, man, again, going back to the thing, if you only have Saturdays to hunt, like, get out there, you know? I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter. Because every year, there's guys in Alabama and Georgia and Mississippi, wherever, Florida, that are killing big, mature bucks early season, bow hunting on feed trees. They kill them at 7 a.m. And uh, it's possible. I mean, you can do it. But I really like having that strategy aspect to it where like, hey, I'm not going to go to the best of the best because it relates to what me and you do most of the time, especially when we're on a hunting trip and we're somewhere and we don't have anything to do except hunt. We've we've taken time to like, you know, block off a couple of days and we're going in before daylight and we're coming out either when we kill a deer or after dark, mm-hmm. you know, and you kind of hunt your way into spots. And when whenever I get, I've talked about this before, whenever I get a stretch of like two or three days when I can do that, I usually kill something. Mm-hmm. And you are, and you do too. Uh, like I remember when you in, were in Arkansas last year and you shot that mature buck. I don't know what day you shot it on, but it was getting kind of late in the trip. Like mm-hmm. you'd been out there for a while. I'm like, he's usually killed one by now. Yeah. And I was talking to Nick. I was like, he ought to call me like any time, you know. And then you called me like later that morning mm-hmm. that you'd kill that buck. But that, but that's what I'm saying is like using your time efficiently and staying out there in the woods as much as you can, uh, because I think a secondary benefit of that would be you're out there in the woods and you're paying attention to what the deer are doing and just you, you're like tapping into like I don't know just like the mood of the woods. Mm-hmm. Not to sound weird or anything, but for real, like there's something to that. You're you're kind of understanding like, hey, what are the woods like today? Like, it, is everything moving? Is everything going crazy? Is it kind of like one of those sleepy days where nothing's going on, the birds aren't really chirping or whatever? And I mean. I don't know. I could go down a rabbit hole with that, but does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. it's, you know, people talk about, like, finding a pattern, hunting a pattern. Trail cameras can show you a pattern, but it's showing you a very small window of what's happening around that tree your camera's on. The best pattern you can find is actually spending time in the woods and actually visually seeing or not seeing what deer are doing. Yeah. Because even if you're not seeing deer, but clearly they're not using this at this point. If Again, if you think you have the wind thermals right and your axis is good. Clearly, they're not in this spot if I'm not seeing deer during prime time, so I need to keep moving. And that's as good of a pattern of even having your trail cameras out there. And to me, even more valuable because you can see more than what your trail camera can see mm-hmm. when you're in an elevated position. Um, and when you do have those compounding days where you have two, three, maybe four days you get a hunt, even if it's just in the mornings or just in the afternoons, maybe you can't hunt all day, you're going to learn so much in that window of time versus hunting one day this week, and then one day next week, yep. and then one day the following week. Mm-hmm. like You're almost starting over every single time. And if you're doing that, that's where I think trail cameras really play a huge value because you're not in the woods. You can't see what's going on, so the trail cameras can kind of help you out. But it's yeah. still, still not showing you a whole picture of what's happening. No. Um, just giving you a little snapshot. Yeah. So, that I mean, I think that's super, super important is just like – it goes back to what a lot of guys say, you know, our buddy, you know, Mike Perry talks about this all the time. You know, one of the most important aspects of becoming a successful hunter is time in the woods, yeah. like time well spent. And to me, like all these guys are like that. I mean, Jonathan gets out in the woods as much as he possibly can with work and family and everything else. Scott's the same way. Jeremy's the same way. Daniel's the same way. Carl's the same way. Um, all those guys try to spend as much time as possible in the woods and by doing so, you're going to get into a opportunity to be able, you know, harvest a buck. Yeah. Um, if you're not, if you don't, if you do that all season, you don't. Well, you need to analyze why are you not. Again, going back to asking why, why are you not seeing deer? Why are you not having encounters? You know, what could it be? Could it be you're not paying attention to the wind? You're not paying attention to the thermals? You're not paying attention to your access? Or you're just flat out on the wrong spot? Yeah. You click, there's Hunt no, the wrong sign. Yeah, there, there's like. 
kind of goes back to a few trips that we get with Carl Brown talking about hunting sign is some sign you can't see very well, depending on like how the habitat is. Mm-hmm. And also the signs showing you where the deer was doesn't necessarily mean that's where he is. And it's like, you got to take that in consideration as well. You know, if you're hunting a lot of big sign and the more you look at it based off where it's at, it's in more open woods. You're probably hunting nocturnal sign, night sign. And yeah, you could look into pot, potentially getting a buck there. But if you move closer to that thicker cover, getting closer to that potential bedding location, you have a lot better opportunity to catch him slipping during daylight instead of sitting on that really pretty sign where it's this crazy sign and you're only catching that nighttime movement. Yeah. What do you think about the aspect of you got a trail camera out and you're waiting for a buck to daylight? And then by the time he daylights two or three times and you go in there to hunt him, he's like, he's done. He's moved on. Yeah. And so I think it was Jonathan talking about that, uh, not getting so hung up on like, oh, is he daylighting yet? He's like, I just need him on camera. I just need him on camera and know what direction he's coming from and going to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's it. And then they're, and then a lot of those guys are hunting the moon phase too. Yeah. Based which, around that. Yeah. And but but the whole premise is like, it doesn't matter what time that deer's coming through there. Like he's coming through there. I know where he's at. Or I know, I know that he he's here and that he's using this area and I'm not going to sit around and wait for the one time he shows up in daylight and, and I'm not there. You know, I yeah. just got him on camera. Well, again, I think some people think they have to kill a deer right where their camera's at, and that might not be the best spot to ambush him and mm-hmm. actually hunt that deer. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like what Jonathan's saying. It's like, I don't care I don't care about killing deer at the camera, but if he's in the area and I can potentially backtrack him closer to where he's at and find a feed tree closer, like especially if he's coming out in the evenings and maybe it's an hour after dark, if I can find a feed tree that's closer in the direction that he came from, I've got a good opportunity to be able to hunt and kill that deer. Mm-hmm. And again, some areas you can do that in. Again, areas like what Scott's hunting in. Again, kind of hill country, highly managed pine plantations where there's not a lot of open timber, like up on the hills, like you're hunting these these ditches and drainages. You might not be able to get as close as you actually need to if he's coming out at an hour after dark and he's just kind of hanging out in that pine thicket. But if you're in Jonathan's case, you're in a case where like you can make a move and get a little bit closer and a little bit closer. You know, it seems like that's what Jonathan was talking about. You know, he has that opportunity to, if he gets him on camera, move in a couple hundred yards close in the direction that deer came from, find a hot feed tree if there's one in that area, set up on it, and there's a good op- good opportunity that maybe he doesn't doesn't shoot the deer, but he gets an opportunity at at least putting eyes on that deer and then figuring mm-hmm. out how he needs to adjust for the next hunt. Yeah. If that if that right there trips your trigger, then you need to go listen to episode 122, uh, Backtracking Bucks with Jeff Homan. Because that's essentially what you're talking about there. You're, you're, what Jeff was doing is is he's getting him on camera, and then he's moving that camera incrementally back to the direction that buck came from until he starts getting him in daylight. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, if trail cameras are your thing and this subject interests you, then go back and listen to that one. That one's a classic. The episode 122. Yep. Backtracking bucks with Jeff Homan. I think it's 122, right? Look it up, bro. <laughs> you got your phone there. All but, right, let's let's see what we got. But I mean, it's a it's definitely a super valuable skill set if you can do that. Um, you know, we've kind of messed around a little bit. I mean, even another guy kind of talked about it is uh, a past guest, uh, Josh Driver, episode one forty one. Kind of, if you listen to his episode, guys, he he hunts a lot of hill country, and episode one forty one is a really good one about trying to kill buck early in the season and how he casts his cameras out in a very specific area with specific habitat type that has a specific kind of diversity he's looking for. And when he gets that buck on camera, all at that point, he just sucks his cameras in to the area that he's getting that buck on camera and potentially even backtracking a little bit closer to his bed until he gets him on camera, uh, in, on, really not on just one camera, but multiple cameras in the same area in the same day. And yep. that's when he has the opportunity to be able to kill that deer. Yeah, it's episode 122. 
122. Backtracking bucks yep. with Jeff second guess myself. Hey, man, there's a bunch of little golden nuggets back there in that time frame. Mm-hmm. Episode 116, 115, um, 118 122. Adrian, 118 with Adrian Farley. 118. Or 119. 141 with Josh Driver. Come yeah. on. Yeah, dude, y'all just zoom on back to 2019 and start listening. There are some really good ones. Yeah. That's why we, every once in a while we like to take one and repost it, so we'll probably do one of those. Yeah. Yeah, it's if, pretty if, soon. if you're a uh, uh, a newer listener, definitely I'd go start at episode 116 and start working your way up. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that, like uh, we got a message the other day where I was like, "Hey, I've listened to every episode," and I was like, "I'm sorry for the first 110." Yeah, <laughs> you know, there were. I mean, there were some good ones in there, but like I feel like we just got better at interviewing and and figured out like how to actually get stuff out of people. Yeah, about that like 110, 115 mark. 116 with Glenn Solomon, ultimate classic it's of got, all time. I was listening to an episode from 2020, and I was telling you this. Um, uh, it's back when our buddy Michael Pike was doing the podcast with us, too, on uh, sometimes on the interviews, but definitely on the outros. And in that interview, like, that's when I was working my old job, and you're doing what you're doing now. And, dude, we had, like, no energy. It was like, dude, if you listen to We were probably to me, recording it at 1130 at night. Yeah, if you listen to me talk, it's just like, is that even Jacob? Like, it's, <laughs> oh, my God. It, it was rough. I was like, man, I was, I was, it sounded like I was dying, man, just trying to make it through that freaking episode. But uh, uh, you, you hear that. A lot of late ones. nights in the Southern Outdoorsman history, yep. including this roundtable, by the way. Shout oh. out to Jeremy and all those guys, because... Man, I don't I don't know if they knew what they were in for, but I think they they pulled out of the driveway about eleven or one a.m. or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, we, we didn't start until like nine something, and it went for almost three hours. Yeah, and it, and then even after the podcast, we sat around and, and we, talked. Yeah, we couldn't stop talking, man. Yeah, I like, get a bunch of deer hunters in a room together. That's what happens. But yeah, yeah that and and also a lot of for most of those guys, like our day, I think started at what seven a.m. with the because we were at the expo all day. Yeah, and we all left the expo and went straight to the house and. And did the podcast. So yep. I mean, that was a, that was a long day for everybody oh, there. But that day, actually, we didn't talk about this, but <clears throat> I didn't eat all day long. <laughs> oh, and, this is great. And um, <laughs> I had, had a little caffeine in the morning, and I drank. And I'm not sensitive to caffeine. Like I could drink, a, I could have, I could consume a lot of caffeine, and it's like, okay, it's no big deal. Somewhat dangerous amount, probably. <laughs> probably, but. And since I hadn't eaten all day, and I really hadn't drank much water because we, I was doing, I was doing a lot of seminars, so we're just, I was busy with all that. Um, at like two o'clock in the afternoon, I drank a three o'clock in the afternoon. I drank a white monster, which has I think like two hundred milligrams of caffeine. Big mistake. Nothing crazy. I dr- dude, I'm telling you. Except that was like probably your third energy drink of the day. Second. Yeah. yeah. But I'm tell. I thought it. I couldn't even like. I couldn't. Sp- I mean, kind of like now. I couldn't. Couldn't even speak really. And just I was sitting up there. Your leg the, was twitching. Yeah, I was sitting up there in one of the seminars, and dude, my right leg was just a freaking like just shaking. <laughs> I'm like, bro, I am tweaking right now. This is terrible, man. Somewhere out there, there's a video floating uh, around of your leg tweaking out while you're trying to it, it do was, the seminar. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you, it was uh, it was Michael Perry's episode is when it hit, or yep. Mike Perry's uh seminar. And then when I did, uh, it, it just kept getting worse. When I yep. did, when did Jonathan, uh, not Jonathan, uh, uh, Daniel and Jeremy's seminar. It was crazy, and it was like that all the way up until six o'clock. Whenever we get back to eat, oh my gosh! And we got back to the house, and you're like, "Do you think I should drink a spark?" I'm like, "If you drink a spark right now, you'll die." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "You'll die." I was like, "Have a beer instead." Yeah. You have you have too many uppers. Let's let's uh, let's get you a downer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. It was that was that was, that was rowdy, but um, I'm but, so glad you didn't drink a spark. You would you would have. Oh my gosh, you would have been not available <laughs> for that podcast. <laughs> Let's go to the ER real quick. Yeah, I need a, I need an IV drip bad. Uh, no, but um, 
but again, kind of going back to the episode, like, I mean, it's just fun kind of having Jonathan on there with all these other guys. And, like, again, you know, Jeremy has experience feed tree hunting. Uh, Daniel's got experience feed tree hunting. Scott's, you know, that's all he does for the most part other than rut hunting is feed trees. And uh, Carl messes around with it a little bit. So it was just kind of cool getting that dynamic. And then, like, the the fun thing with the episode is just, like, the dynamic between all the different guests. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, Carl asked a ton of questions. Mm-hmm. Scott asked a ton of questions. I mean, Jonathan was asking questions for Jeremy and everybody else. And, like, and then, you know, Jeremy was just asking all kinds of questions, too. So yep. it, it's, a, it's a really cool dynamic having everybody on there. Um, it was fun having – it was fun watching a guy like Jeremy – like ask so many questions intently, especially there at the beginning, because mm-hmm. it's like, man, Jeremy, like he kills big deer, man. Like he's a, he's a, he's consistent on mature bucks, yet he's still in this room and he's asking all these other guys who are younger than him mm-hmm. what they know and, and trying to learn. And I think there's that is not to be overlooked. You yeah. know, that's probably why he's killing all the mature bucks and he's so consistent is because he's got that mindset. And he's he's constantly trying to learn. So I just I respected the heck out of that man. It was it was really cool to see. It was fun to see. I'm like, man, this is this is what we came. This is why we got all these people together. First yeah. of all, because that was exactly what we were hoping would happen. We're like, y'all just start talking. Yeah. Me and Jacob, it's going to be the easiest podcast ever. We're just going to sit back and yeah. uh, let y'all handle it. Oh, dude, it was, <laughs> it was fun. I mean, it's just again, it's cool because like this, everybody there is on a certain level when it comes to whitetail hunting, and it's like that whitetail IQ going back and forth. Yeah, is just. I mean, it's invaluable. That's a term we need to coin is whitetail IQ, because that, that that's what I keep getting at when I when I keep making the analogy of like you go to like the like the expo or, or the people on the podcast. Yeah, you, you go to the family barbecue. Yeah, and it ain't like it ain't like your uncle who's at the at Thanksgiving or at the family barbecue or whatever who you know is like a very casual deer hunter. Mm-hmm. Again, nothing wrong with that. Not talking trash or anything, but like they're just they're they're not looking at things the same way that that we are and and like that in that room that's like a very high whitetail iq in that room like those guys like they live and breathe it and they're very good at it yeah and getting to see all them talk man was just it was fun yeah it was awesome when you think turkey calls think of houndstooth houndstooth game calls is a company based right here in alabama actually based out of tuscaloosa and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012 y'all head on over to their website see what they got they got a little something for everybody they have a huge selection of different mouth calls different cuts different read configurations. i like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them see which ones i like the most you know some days i might like the kb hen some days i might like the ghost cut some situations i might like the country girl call you know that i can cut on really hard where on other situations i might like the all pro that i can get a little bit softer on bottom line there's something for everybody and something for every situation and hey you you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP24. That's SOP24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at 
uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable. Like, everybody's jaws were dropping. Like, when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And, Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from true lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So, guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. It, it It was fascinating. And then... You know, another thing that I thought was hilarious, and we were talking about the, this is something we talked about later in the podcast, and I just remembered it, is how re- relevancy is so important when it comes to whitetail hunting. And what I mean by that is, like, I was, I was telling Jonathan, I'm like, dude, you know, he's killed quite a few 125-plus-inch deer, 130-plus-inch deer. Yep. And it's like, I know s- so many people in, like, our home state who's hunted for years has never killed a 130-inch deer. Mm-hmm. Not, not saying they're bad hunters, just they've never had that opportunity really to kill a deer like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of these guys are killing 150, 160-inch deer, and it's like, you know, depending on where you're at, you can't kill a 130-inch deer if you don't have 130-inch deer on the landscape. You can't kill a 160-inch deer on, in an area that doesn't have a 160-inch deer. Um, and, and Jonathan kind of brought that up about, like, you know, how, you know, everything that's being discussed and everybody's hunting style as relevant to the area and the deer that they hunt in, in their general area. And that's like so important. Cause like, I don't want to hear, I don't want to have somebody on from, you know, North Florida uh, or South Florida, listening to the podcast and hearing these guys like Jeremy and Daniel and Scott and uh, Jonathan and Carl, they're killing all these really good deer. And they're like, well, dude, I don't, I've never even seen a buck. I don't know anyone's ever killed 120 inch deer. Yeah, and it's like that is that is so critical uh, to understand. It's like that's one thing I like about the southeast. Like the southeast, there are areas in the southeast that there are some huge deer that get killed. But also one thing about like in the southeast is, you know, if you're killing a nice buck, dude, if he's a hundred and five inch deer mm-hmm. and he's a mature buck, hundred and ten inch buck, that is awesome. Like, dude, don't look down that. Like, we got some guys coming down to hunt with us this year in January, mm-hmm. and I told him like, dude, if you have a three and a half year old come out and he's a hundred inches. Shoot, I'd shoot him. Like, be, be happy. That, that's a good. Shoot that's him. a good deer, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, but it's you know it's just different. Like when you hunt different areas that you know you could find a three and a half year old deer that's 130 inches. Yeah. Like that. That is so rare. I feel like down here where we're at, it happens, but it's it's so rare compared to some other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also just like this tactics because where I was trying to get with that is so Carl brought. They were talking about. I think it might have been Jonathan. Or Jeremy, one of those were talking about 120 inch deer. Like, yeah, 120 inch deer. He's like, he's like, they were talking about, you know, 120 inch deer. Like, one of them was talking about seeing a bunch of 120 inch deer. Yeah. And Carl's like, 120. He's like, man, that's a damn good deer where I come from. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you know, you're in the coastal plains of South Carolina. He's like, dude, 120 inch deer is a big deer. I'm like, like a, I'm right there with you. Legit dude. big deer. Like, 120, 125 inch deer is an awesome buck. And um, yeah. that's how we kind of open the conversation about, you know, just everything's so relevant to, like, where you're at and who you're talking to. Yeah. Just, I mean, that's, a, like, a lot of Alabama hunters that we talk to. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, my mentor, Benny George, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Perry. Michael Perry's a great example. Tony Myers is a pretty good example, too, yeah. where if you go look at their wall, the top end of that wall is, pro- like, 140-ish, you know? like. Well, 
some of their biggest bucks are going to be, well, not Michael Perry, obviously. Not even Tony Myers. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, one, 140, 150 is, like, the absolute biggest. He's got 170. Well, I know. Okay, I'm okay, saying. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, so not necessarily them as an example, but if you, okay, sorry. Keep going. Yeah, I'm just saying. But if you go look at, it's not like he's got 18, 170-inch deer in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. his house. Look yeah. at Michael Perry's wall. He's got, he's got, like, five or six, like, huge bucks. He's got, obviously, like, a, a really big deer that he killed, state record buck a couple years ago. Yep. And he's got a couple others that are in that 150 range. But then the 30 other deer he has on his wall are, what, 110 to 125 inches? Yeah. A I mean, lot of them? They're, they're all good deer. I mean, like, when we talk about, like, a really good rack buck, like, a, a great representation of the area, like, to me, Michael's, like, one of the best examples. Like, he's not he's not the kind of guy, he's, he's not going to go six years not shooting a buck because he's trying to kill that 150. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if a good three-and-a-half, and he talks about it, he's like, he's like, I'm looking for a three-and-a-half-year-old buck or better. Okay. Yep. If mm-hmm. it's a good three and a half year old buck or better, I'm going to shoot that deer. Yep. Exactly. I, I'm taking that opportunity. And I really look at the guys like that. I'm like, dude, that's, you know, that that's awesome. Especially when you have the opportunities. It's, to me, it's different. I feel like it's slightly different when between if you're hunting public land, okay, and you have tens of thousands of acres to mm-hmm. run around, maybe hundreds of thousands of acres to hunt around on. And also now, maybe you get three buck tags. It's not like you have a hundred acres. And you don't want to shoot that three and a half year old because you really would want him to get to five years old, and you're trying to shoot a five and a half year old buck on that property. It's it's a different dynamic. Yeah. But that's one thing. Like again, I look at Michael Perry that to me gets me excited when it comes to white tail. And he's like, dude, he's killed all these big deer, and he'll still go kill like a nice three and a half or four and a half year old buck and not feel bad about yeah, it. Yeah. Makes it's him no happy. shame. Take a photo of the whole nine yards, and I love that. Um, that's what I'm saying is that like Michael Perry is an upper echelon deer hunter in Alabama. Like he knows what he's doing and he's consistent with it. And you go look at his wall and what is realistically attainable. Yeah. Scott Seals, go look at his wall. What is realistically attainable mm-hmm. in Alabama? Mm-hmm. Take it for Georgia, Mississippi, whatever. Go, go look at the best deer hunters that you know. Go look at their wall. I mean, and that's what you should expect and, and like be thrilled with, you yeah. know, because you can't take what some guy's shooting in Wisconsin and apply it to down here, you're like, man, I haven't killed a 150 yet. Or, or It's like, well. Or even in your own state, like give Mississippi example, some of those deer that are coming out of the Delta that are just giant whitetails. Oh, huge body. Travis huge Murray. Yeah, huge body. <laughs> huge, if you're in the northeast part of the state, mm-hmm. you don't have that opportunity to kill deer like that unless you're traveling. Yeah. Like, it's just not, I mean, it's it's, it's it could happen, but it's so much more rare than if you lived in that area where, a five and a half year old could be two hundred and forty five pounds and be a hundred and fifty plus inch deer. Yep. Um, so I mean, that's something you just you got to take into uh, consideration. That's why we it, will interview guys on the podcast that are killing really good deer, especially if they're killing mature bucks. They might never even kill a one hundred and thirty inch deer, mm-hmm. but they're killing mature bucks in their area and their part of the southeast, and that's still super valuable when it comes to mm-hmm. information being shared. Oh yeah. So I wouldn't judge somebody a hundred percent on how big of the bucks they're killing, but are they consistently killing good deer in your area? And to me, that's someone that I could look up as a mentor. Yeah, 100%. No, I think that's a great subject, especially kind of going into late summer here. Uh, we're we're going to be having a lot of people with trail cameras out, kind of figuring out what's in their area. And, th- and that's another thing, too. Like, if you're starting in a new area, get those trail cameras out and see – See what's in the neighborhood. You know, see what see what kind of deer that you're actually dealing with. That's one thing I'm trying to figure out on the club right now. I don't I don't have a deer on the club right now that just like fires me up, you know. But if uh if it's later in the seat, like if we get to the rut and it's like January or whatever, and I still got some buck tags left and one of these like decent eight points comes by, uh, he's gonna be in trouble for sure. I want, I want to read this real quick while we're talking about deer. So Doctor Deer just posted this uh, on Facebook. 
And I'm really interested in finding more about this data. And he just posted there was a 50-year study confirmed that it was just completed. 50-year study that confirmed the average mature whitetail buck has eight points and scores an average between 125 inches and 130 inches. That's true for both the north and the south. Um, and he just kind of talks about, like, different areas. Like, some areas, yeah. like, he gave an example. And some areas of Mississippi where there's been heavily harvested for eight points or better, the average for a mature buck is six points. Um and then, and it also started talking about, he started talking about the percentage, less than 15% of mature bucks broke 150 inches, less than 1% broke 170 inches. And I'm like, that is super interesting to kind of hear and see that as a data point. Like, yes, you can kill a lot bigger deer, but if you're killing 120 to 130 inch, 120 to 130 inch deer anywhere, I think is, is awesome. But especially in the Southeast, that is a really big accomplishment. Yeah, I'd love to. I'm very curious about that study. I, I would love to see where that data actually came from and how they came to that. Because I, I wonder if if that's like a nationwide average. And I don't know, maybe like the north is kind of pulling up the score a little bit. Oh, interesting. You know, like that average. Because, I, I don't know, like the average deer is 130 inches at four and a half. Like even in the deep south. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. No, no, that's a good point. That That is, that is a that is a very good point to think I mean, about. maybe like 120-ish. I could see that. Like 115 yeah. to 120. Yeah. At I, least like around here. But also part of that too, like if, <clears throat> if I don't know, depending on how that, that study strikes you, some of that also could be that most people are not very good at aging deer, you know. So a lot of people that think like, oh, the, like how many times do you see like, oh, I killed this mature buck and it's like, Definitely not mature, mm -hmm. but you know you're not gonna be like that's not a mature book. You're not gonna say that to him, but yeah. you know, I mean, most people are not that great at aging deer, frankly. Mm -hmm. Which we did an episode on, yeah, yeah two I, months ago, yeah, Mariah Bogus, yeah, Mariah Bogus, uh, state biologist for North yeah. Carolina, um, talking about aging deer, absolutely, absolutely crushed everybody's disillusions on aging deer. Yeah, and that's interesting, but it's like, um, I don't know, just like I just kind of go back to like it's relative to where you're at. Like, I think Jonathan uh, was talking about, and I think I've looked at this too. It, guys from Florida, you can write in and tell me if this is wrong. I think to get into the uh, state record book for Florida, I think it's, you got to break, it's like a hundred inches or 110 inches, get you into the record book. Um, which is, I mean, you think about it, it's crazy, but it's like, you see some of the deer that are coming out from down there. It's like, you kind of understand what's going mm -hmm. on. Like, you know, some areas down there you have bigger body deer, but you know you have the chance to kill a mature buck that's 125 pounds, yep. 130 pounds, 140 pounds. Um, and you know, first off, dude, you have a 110 inch deer walking around that's 130 pounds, live weight. Looks big. And he's gonna look big. Looks real big. Yeah, he's gonna look big, especially <laughs> if he's got a little bit of whiff to him, dude. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> giant. Yeah. Oh my god, it's, it's hilarious. It's like I've heard guys. Uh, I'm trying. It might have been Rental Eric to talk to somebody. They gone to Kansas. Uh, it was some of that. This guy I talked to, he knew, went to Kansas and passed his buck. The buck body was so big, he thought it was like a small deer, and he took <laughs> photos of it. And he's like, "Dude, that's a 150, 160 inch deer." <laughs> but he's like, "The buck just the, weighs the 300 deer, pounds." Yeah, the deer probably weighed 300 something pounds for real, <laughs> live weight. And it's like uh, it just made his rack look small. Like we don't have that issue in the south. No, definitely, it's definitely the, not. It's the opposite. Like, yeah, typically we get more bang for our buck down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, them gripper grains look real good with the southern deer. Oh, that's they, that's fantastic. That's yeah. hilarious. But uh, you know, it's it's just fun, but. Um, but kind of going back to this episode, I mean, dude, there's just, there's so many like good tidbits from this episode that 
you know, you're getting from all these successful guys um, that are all kind of like sharing their own information, their own knowledge, and also kind of going back and forth in communication. It makes it really, really fun. And again, I highly recommend going to watch it on YouTube just because mm-hmm. to me, you get so much more out of just the video than you just do out of the audio podcast as well. Yeah. Uh, by the time this drops, will the World Deer Expo, is that gone yet? Yeah, it's next weekend. Is this dropping next week? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's look, let's look, let's look real quick. Let's look. Well, we're going to be oh, at no, the no, World yeah, Direct. Yeah, no, no, it'll drop okay, over there. Perfect, okay. perfect. T- talk about it. Let's go. All right. Do you know our booth number? Yeah, it's uh, I actually, I just t- typed it out to somebody. Hold on. It is. We're going to be at the World Deer Expo. We got a in booth Bur- there. Bur- Birmingham, Alabama. In Birmingham, Alabama. We're booth 2405. So 2405. So 2405 is our booth number. Downstairs. We're downstairs. Uh, right next to Michael Perry. So if you share a booth with him. Yeah. If you see, <coughs> well, he's got his own booth. We're just having one big booth. Yeah. But we've got, we've got a booth next to Michael Perry downstairs. I think he's twenty four oh four, I believe. Yeah. Um. So or twenty four oh six. One of the two. One of the ones next to us. I don't yeah. Know. Pick, take your pick. Just go wander around down there. You'll find it. But us. listen. So I had I've had this idea. I want to put this out on the podcast. So we're gonna be at the World Eric's at Birmingham, Alabama. It's like a three day event or four day event. Um. The dates are. Let me look it up real quick. One second. The World Deer Expo. It's like Thursday through Sunday, isn't it? Yeah. I think. Um, I'll just, I'll let me confirm real quick. All right, so. July 21st through 23rd. If Yeah, July 21st through 23rd. And yeah. this, this episode will come out on the 20th. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. So, guys, come out to the World Eric. So come hang out with us. And, and listen, so if you, learn, if you listen to an episode a couple weeks ago, we did a uh, podcast style where we interviewed different guests at the Mobile Hunters Expo, different attendees uh, that are all extremely successful whitetail hunters and, and gather tips. I want to do the same concept for the World Deer Expo, but I want to interview listeners. Okay? Oh, interesting. So oh, I'll, you're just throwing it out there. Yes. Okay. So I, right. want, I want listeners to come by the booth, and I'm going to have a headset. I'm going to have the mic setups and everything, and I want to get what has been one of the most valuable piece of information you've learned from the podcast that is either impacted you in one way or the other. Maybe you haven't killed a deer with it, but it's impacted you as something that either it hit home for you, you've tried it and started seeing success, or maybe you even killed a buck doing so. I want to interview you guys at the mm-hmm. World Deer Expo. So if you're coming to the World Deer Expo, come by the booth, stop and give me five to ten minutes of your time, and I want to interview you on, on the podcast. And we're going to do a big podcast episode. Or messages, too, like by the time you're hearing this, maybe maybe message and because yep. I don't, I don't know what kind of response we'll get, but the more coordination, y'all, the better. Y'all can stay in line, stay in line. I don't care. I'll, <laughs> I'll sit there and just like we'll we'll run through everybody. With yeah. The but feel free, come by, grab a mic, and then let. I just want to interview you. I want to get your thoughts on, you know, how long have you been listening to the show, and what has been a specific guest and topic or style or tactic that you've heard from the show from a guest that's directly impacted you. Uh, I want to interview you guys on the podcast, and we're going to put out a whole episode with all these different listeners on there. So super yep. excited about it, and uh, y'all come by. And I think we're going to have some decals to give out, right? We're going to have yes. some stickers. Free stickers. Yeah, so come by and get, you, get you a Southern Outdoorsman decal put on your truck. Yeah, So then, then if I see you at a parking gate, you know, yeah. and if I see it's a public, local public land, I'm like, okay, this guy's this guy's a good deal. I'm going to keep on rolling. Then he won't let the air out of your tires if you yeah. got to. <laughs> God. <laughs> if you got a Southern Outdoorsman sticker. Oh, my God. Free yeah. stickers, everybody. Come yeah. on. Yeah, so come by the booth, hang out with us. It's going to be a super fun time. Yeah, um, looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. And then also the next weekend, I'm going to be going to the, the northern show for the Mobile Hunters Expo in Kalamazoo, yep. uh, Michigan. That's going to be an awesome event. So we have, if we have listeners, which I know we do, kind of in that Great Lakes area, I would hi- if you're within six hours of Kalamazoo, I would highly, highly, highly recommend to come to the show. 
The Southern show was unbelievable. I mean, it's an unbelievable opportunity for attendees and be able to talk to super successful whitetail hunters, be able to try so many different pieces of gear before the show actually, before like you actually have to purchase anything. You can try it all at the show, figure out what's the best option for you. And uh, then you can come hang out with me too because I won't yeah. be there. Andrew won't be able to make it, but I'll be there. I think we're going to help out a little bit more with the seminars up there. and It's going to be a great time. So, again, if you're in that area within about six hours at Kalamazoo, it's a three-day event. I would highly recommend you guys coming up for that. And, and let me, I want to confirm the dates as well real quick. So the dates on the Northern show is it's the uh, 28th, it's the 28th, 29th and 30th of July. So it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. Saturday is the film festival. So if you attend the show Saturday, you can come and stop and watch the film festival, which starts at, I think it goes from, I think it's like seven or six to eight or seven to nine, something like that in the evening. Yep. Uh, there's gonna be beer, Great time. It was awesome last year uh, in Ohio with the film festival, so I'm super excited to see some of the films from this year. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Let's do some Q&A. Awesome. Okay, real quick. So, listeners, we've been trying to do these Q&As. Uh, we're kind of getting down. we got a couple, I think, left. If you go over to the Southern Outdoorsmen website, again, thesoutheroutdoorsmen.com, and look at there, – there's a tab on there for Q&A – Fill out the Q&A form, and we're going to try to start answering those Q&As on all these different outro breakdown episodes. Yep. Uh, and also, I guess, can we have that in the show, link, in yeah. the show notes Yeah, it's well? in the show notes in every episode, so you can go down to the show notes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, yep. and you'll see it down there. Uh, so you can go fill out that form and get your question answered on the show. Yeah, I love doing this. It's super fun. Yeah, it is fun. The, one, right. the one last week was hilarious. Yeah, Not hilarious, right. but it was interesting with the whole clear cut that was uh, sprayed and everything. And oh, yeah, that, that was super interesting. I love I love doing this kind of stuff. It's so fun. Yeah. Uh, all right, this is from Andrew Heflin. Hey, guys, I'm a relatively recent follower of the podcast. I'm from Ohio and hunt southern Ohio public land, but grew up hunting squirrel and turkey in Kentucky where my family is from. Anyways, I recently listened to the podcast with Glenn Solomon and must say that along with the Bobby Worthington episodes, it was one of the best pieces of hunting content I've ever come across. Episode 116, guys. Episode 116. Yes, sir. Glenn Solomon, anyway. I imagine that finding men of that caliber is a serious task. Are there any... uh, Are there any other episodes that you feel are similar in terms of the knowledge of the guests, but also maybe not as well-known throughout the Midwest... I will keep listening and wish you all the best. Stay Southern. Okay, there we go. So I actually ended up messaging this guy back a bunch of episode numbers, but I'm curious what you come up with. Or number, a bunch of names of guests. Number number one, episode 141 with Josh Driver. Yes. To me, it applies everywhere, any, anywhere in the country. Everywhere. Episode 141. If you listen to episode 141, I if you listen and, and do what he says, you will have success this fall finding big bucks. Okay. We got so many listener success stories from that. Yeah, it's inc- it was incredible. Like, so many. Uh, here's 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 some names I gave him. I gave him quite a list. Oh, okay. All right. You can search any of these names on your listing platform and find the podcast we did with them. I wasn't able to get the episode numbers for every single one of them. I'll look it up real quick. Hold All up. right. I'll look up Nathan. Nathan Killen is one of them. He's a, he's a mountain hunter. Uh, we've done several podcasts with him, uh, but... One of the things that we focused on with him was uh, basically targeting. Oh, I don't know if that's the right episode. Here, here um, it's right here. Okay, the guide to hunting old bucks with Nathan Killen. That's episode, episode one seventy one. Episode one seventy one. That one was a freaking great one because we're talk basically in there. If you're interested in hunting a mature buck versus just you know any buck, that's the kind of episode that you're going to want to listen to because Nathan really breaks down how it is 
really different. It's like hunting a different animal. Uh, and then also in episode 335, we had finding mature bucks postseason, uh, uh, finding mature bucks postseason and sheds with Nathan Killen and Rusty Johnson. So that's where we actually got those two on a podcast and let them talk kind of similar to this yeah, roundtable. If, if, you're, if you're a mountain hunter, that is a that's, really good episode. That's the episode. Really good episode. Uh, another one, Jim Forbes. Uh, he was another, that's kind of a blast from the past. That was probably 2020 when we uh, interviewed him. I almost said when we emailed him. I don't know where that came from. That was episode 190 with Jim Forbes. Episode 190, Mature Buck Habits, Stay in Placement, and Terrain Reading with Jim Forbes. Episode 190, mm, Must Listen. That one was a dandy. That's a real good one. Of course, uh, Tony Myers is another one. We mentioned Tony a little bit earlier. He He's a, a legend here in Alabama. He's killed a lot of really big deer. He's extremely successful doing it. Uh, that's episode 191, Early Season Mature Bucks and Old School Hunting with Tony Myers. Tony Myers is a good friend of Michael Perry's, and uh, man, that guy that guy gets after it. We also had him on with another guest recommendation on here, Jamie McKay. And uh, ha- that one was episode 263, How to Read Buck Sign and Find the Big Ones with Tony Myers. That one featured uh, Michael Perry. I don't think Jamie was there, actually, was he? No, he wasn't. No. Um, but uh, Tony, Tony and Jamie... And Michael Perry, they all know each other. And so they all hunt kind of similar, and, and getting them in a room together was really awesome. But Jamie McKay is another one that we've interviewed that he was just a – that was a really good interview. I know he was on episode 200, uh, 200 with Michael Perry, Wes Moe, oh, and Jamie McKay. that's a good episode. episode I forgot about that episode, that's a bang, That's a banger. Uh, Michael Perry, we've had Michael on numerous times. Uh, again, if you, if you just go search, you know, Michael Perry – You'll uh you'll see his episode. Um, Dude, look how many times he's been on. No, he's been on a whole bunch of times. Just grab one. Which which one do you think? Um, I mean, I want to do. I mean, here, here's a good one. That's from. Oh yeah, honing in on the best funnels and creek crossings with Michael Perry. That's episode two sixty. That's a that's a good one too. Uh, Troy Pottinger, episode one seventy five. It was called Scrape Hunting Masterclass with Troy Pottinger. That one is a. Absolutely great deep dive on scrape hunting. If you're interested in scrape hunting, Troy is Troy is your guy. Did you do Looking Branch Magic? Uh, Greg Skufka? That's another banger. Yeah. Oh, you did, did you put it on there? No, I didn't. Oh, uh, we're there. we're gonna do that one next. So here's uh Richard Fox. Richard Fox's been on the podcast quite a few times as well. Yep. Um uh, these aren't all let's see. Creating success with Richard Fox. That was a good one. Uh no. proven tactic. Uh, click on that one. Yeah, episode one eighteen, creating success with Richard Fott. That was a we've done a couple with Richard and uh, man. Oh, this is the most impactful one though. Oh yeah, called near the right way with Richard Fott, episode two ninety. I think that's our most downloaded episode. Yeah, if you're wanting like one of the most in depth co- conversations on calling whitetails using rattling and grunting, episode two ninety, calling near the right way with Richard Fott is a unbelievable episode. We had unbelievable, we, like. Maybe close to 100 listener success stories that came from just that episode. Like, quick, too. Because that episode hit at just the right time. In October. As well. In October, l- right there leading up to the rut. And, dude, people were just laying the wood to them. Yeah, that, it's unbelievable. Uh, Scott Seals. Uh, Scott's been on a couple times here lately. Um, Andrew, I'm, ass- I'm assuming you probably heard Scott on here already if you've been uh, listening relatively recently. This is the first one. But the first one we did with him was episode 428, which was targeting bucks no one else can get with Scott Seals and Nick Harris. Uh, Scott and Nick, man, th- those guys are studs, and they get it done. So that was a really good one. And then another one, 
uh, is Mastering Hill Country Feed Trees with Scott Seals. That was episode 486. So that was the recent one that we referenced earlier in this podcast. Uh, Wes Moe. Wes, he's been a buddy of ours since probably 2019, I think, was the first time we interviewed him. And he's the one that does the, the wolf pack tactic. So if your thing is like you want to get a group of buddies and you want to go out there and work together, that's what Wes kind of specializes in. And our first episode we did with him was episode 146, Killing Pressured Whitetails with Wes Moe. Uh that one was that one was really focused on the uh, the uh, wolf pack tactic, but then also targeting big buck escape routes with Wes Moe. That's episode one eighty nine. That's another one on that subject, and that's what Wes does, and he does a really good job at it. Him and his group kind of get together, and they essentially surround a buck, and someone's going to end up killing it because it's going to come squirting out of there, out of that bedding area, one way or another, and they've got people covering those exit routes. And uh, we talk a lot about honing in on those escape routes and how to hunt those. And that's something that can be applied even if you're not hunting with a group of people that you know. Say you take a gun day on a wildlife management area here in the south where, you know, the, the Orange Army's out there. You can use those same principles and set up on those escape routes and, you know, just have random people pushing deer around. And if you're on the right escape route, you've got a really good chance of having a big buck come by you. Uh, Chuck Young. Episodes 390 and 384 were with him. Uh, Chuck is an Arkansas guy, another mountain hunter. We talked a lot about, I think, morning hunting with him, like in the mountains. But terrain a lot features. Of, a lot of very interesting terrain feature and thermal talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a lot of interesting thoughts on thermals. A lot of listener success stories came from his episode as well. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, and then Adam and Heath Jolly. We've had Adam Jolly on, I don't I don't remember the first time. It was, it was a while back, like in the hundreds um but we had adam and his brother heath on for episode 378 and 380 we did a series with them and it's all about it's another one that if you're interested in early season hunting and feed trees and buck bedding specifically that those are your episodes because that's really what their their bread and butter is is targeting that those buck bedding areas in early season and they're in virginia i think no north carolina north carolina but they're they're hunting the appalachian mountains so again if you're a mountain guy that one's going to be right up your alley but also, that a lot of the principles of what they talk about can be applied really anywhere. Here's the first one we had Adam on. Outsmarting Mature Bucks with Adam Jolly, episode 135. So, that one's a really good so one. So he killed a huge 13-point yep. on a morning sit early season. He talks about how much he loves, and maybe we need to do another episode with him about early season. That's what I'm saying. How much he loves like set, like late September, early October hunting, hunting mornings for Mature Bucks, catching them in their beds. Like, it is yeah. like the honeybee-style tactics, but in the mountains. Yeah. He's been doing it for a while. Yeah, if that's your jam, you need to go listen to that episode. Uh, Tom Brownlee, episode 315. That one's called The Truth About Scent with Tom Brownlee. Tom is basically uh, a scientist. Like, what would you call him? Like, he's a researcher. And he the entire thing is about scent and the, basically the science of scent. Uh, he uses canines yeah, for a lot of his he's research. A, he's a world, or he's a nationally renowned uh, canine instructor. Yeah. So, but yeah, he it's it's an unbelievable episode. Like, you want the most in depth conversation you've ever heard about scent and ground scent and like how that actually works and how long, especially ground disturbance can last. Episode three fifteen is an unbelievable episode for that. Yeah. Um. Now, the last one is Travis Murray that you got written down. We've had him on quite a few times. There's three episodes that you got uh, note on. So the first one's episode 210, Ghillie Suit Ground Hunting in Buck's Bedroom with Travis Murray. Yep. The second one, which we had him on just a week or two later, is uh, episode 213, 
understanding a killing win while targeting mature bucks with Travis Murray. We've had a lot of listener success stories come from episode 213 with Travis. Oh, a bunch. Uh, using a killing win, it's like that off win, uh, and it's unbelievable. If you're a rifle hunter, if you're a bow hunter, it works extremely well. If you're a rifle hunter, it is extremely, extremely deadly, and he talks about that in great detail in that episode. Yep. Also with Travis Murray, an extremely important one. This is one. This is what's helped Travis uh, back when he used to use trail cameras. He had unbelievable success killing some monster whitetails in Mississippi. His biggest one grossed over 200 inches. Um, and the episode is called, it's episode 257. Again, episode 257, Trolling for Monster Bucks with Travis Murray. That's a great one to listen to this time of year, especially. Yeah, especially because he has a really good tra- uh, trail cam uh, strategy that he used to do. He, he was, listen, he was so effective with it. It got boring for him. Uh, he literally, he literally stopped. <laughs> what an using, awesome problem to have. He literally stopped using trail cameras because it was working out so well for him that he, it took the adventure away from hunting whitetails and not knowing what's out there. So he stopped using them after using them for uh, I guess a handful of years. So yeah. again, episode two fifty seven, highly recommend uh, listening to that. And also another one that we had Travis on, which is a really good one about woodsmanship. This is from uh, this is last uh, this is last, last August, August and it's episode three ninety eight becoming a true woodsman with Travis Murray and he talks about in that episode which is a really good episode especially if you're a newer hunter <coughs> or if you're, if you're not newer hunter how valuable a hunting skill set of slip hunting for squirrels can add to unbelievable woodsmanship and how you can use that to scout your way back into spots to find big whitetails. Yep. All right. That was a very, very long-winded answer. But, you know, we actually get a lot of questions about that, and people have asked about getting some kind of directory uh, for, like, our podcast library where it's like, hey, these episodes are for your mountain guys. These episodes are for your swamp guys. These are scent episodes. These are scrape episodes. These are rut episodes. Hill country. And, uh, gosh, I want to do that so bad. There are not enough hours in the day because that is a big project. But we do want to do something like that eventually, so stay tuned. Hopefully there will be that in the future. Uh, this is our, our last Q&A. Um, Mac Duncan said, what are you looking for in large blocks of pines mixed with cutovers? Jacob, I'll let you start. SMZs. Number one. So, large block of pines with clear cuts. So, um, this is from two perspectives, bow hunting and rifle hunting. If you have clear cuts, especially clear cut, <clears throat> if you're in the deep south, and if it's under three to four years of age, you can rifle hunt those amazingly if you can climb really high around the edge of the clear cut and find the thing to find is a high spot over the top of the clear cut if you're in kind of hill country looking into some kind of like slight low spot in the clear cut not necessarily an smz not but like a slight draw where they've cut all the way across it those low spots for whatever reason it seems like the bucks will bed just on the edges of those low spots has been clear cut all the way across. And if you get up high, you can kind of watch those. It's also it's a great spot not only catch bucks bedded, but also catch bucks traveling through those little low spots in the clear cut. Um, in addition, to that is SMZ streamside management zones, the little hardwood drainages in and around those clear cuts and in and around those pines. That's where you're going to find your feed trees, and also a really good travel point to find bucks cruising in, along with finding excellent locations for putting either community scrapes like a mock scrape in or finding community scrapes in the bottom of those hubs so if you have again a a creek system running through this property even if it's fairly flat if you have three or four of these little drainages these smz's that drop down to this creek bottom to that low spot 
that's going to be an excellent thermal hub to find uh, community scrapes, putting the mock scrape, and also hunt specifically those locations. Again, that's an area like we hunted last year on our SOA hunt in Alabama where we saw a, a huge whitetail, a really big whitetail. Um, and also me and Andrew killed uh, two bucks in that same spot uh, the following day. Um, yep. So those are fantastic. But what's your thoughts on it? Uh, if, if you have some larger cutovers on the place, I'd be looking to hunt the cutovers with a rifle, but I'd also be looking for terrain features within those cutovers. So, uh, like you said, maybe a low spot that could be like a thermal hub. Uh, one spot that comes to mind is, uh, where you killed your bucks and that cutover mm -hmm. on our local WMA. Um, you, that, that particular spot, that cutover kind of slopes down a steep hill and then benches out and then drops off to the creek. So there's a very nice bench that wrapped around that cutover, which that cutover is aged out now. Can't really hunt it anymore. But back then, when it was like that three or four year old, you know, tall sage grass, dude, they were just they were in there thick. And you killed yep. two bucks out of that. Mm -hmm. You killed one really nice buck out of it. Yep. And uh, so I'd be looking for something like that terrain features within that cutover that are going to funnel deer. And then pretty much exactly what Jacob said, like those hubs that come out into it. Or one thing that I really like to find too is if you have a larger cutover and you have one large drainage coming out of that cutover. And being able to hunt the mouth of that, I've had really good luck in spots like that as well. Even just going in blind where you've got a, a bunch of thick cover. And this is especially good when that cutover starts to age out a little bit and it's harder to hunt it with a rifle because you can't get high enough to see down into it anymore. There's too many saplings or just whatever. You can't shoot down into it. But there's drainages coming out of that cutover hitting those larger creek drainages or SMZs and hunting at the mouth of that because deer will hit that drainage within the cutover and walk it out and they'll use it as a travel corridor and you're going to catch deer running the edge of that cutover so you're getting travel coming down out of the cutover and running the edge of the cutover as well and that's also another spot where you, you'll potentially find some deer bedded kind of monitoring those routes and it's a good scrape location so that'd be my advice yeah sounds like a good situation yep. i like it i love it love it um sweet uh, we got new review. Oh yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so kind of wrap up that Q and A session. Um, again, guys, we love getting these Q and As. Again, just go over to the Southern Outdoorsman website. You can fill out the Q and A form, or go down the sh show uh, description down below on this podcast episode, and you'll be able to click the link down there and just fill out your questions, and we'll get those answered on the podcast. Um, that gummit. Dude, phone's janky, dude. You done locked it. Okay, there you go. All right. So this is from a uh, clear. This guy's from Arkansas. Uh, this is a five-star review titled Dopest Dope. <laughs> Go Hog, and it, this is from Go Hogs 35. This show is, it's not, it should be the, <laughs> this show is dopest dope I've ever smoked. Love the content. <laughs> Keep up the good work, guys. Been listening for a couple years now. Long-time listener. First-time reviewer. That's, a, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is uh, from Triple F Outdoors. East Texas Stump Jumper, five stars. I'm a longtime listener from Southeast Texas. I have been on the train since episode 100. Best podcast that pertains to what every Southerner hunts from swamps to hill country. Keep up the good work, and I'm ready for season to get here and to pick all my gear back up like a good day, yard selling. That is a... Hey, listen, only the real ones know that joke, man. Only the people who've been listening for a while know that. Hey, good day, yard selling. <laughs> Oh man, we need to rehash that and one of these. The days. Geraldine 
Baptist Archery Club. Archery Club. God, we need to figure out what episode that is. Yeah, that, anyways, that's, that's one of the funniest outros you'll ever hear. Yep. Oh, for sure. That that came from uh, our buddy Tyler Malone you, you seeing know, a black hey, bear. You know, it's funny. I was I, I was listening to that episode again after we recorded it when it was posted. Uh huh. I was going to a funeral, listening to it. And I could not stop laughing. <laughs> That's how funny that episode is. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yep. Good stuff. That's a good episode. Really good. But uh, anyway, so get uh, out of here, bear. Get out of here, bear. Shoo. Shoo. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> good day, yard selling. Um. So again, so we just read off reviews. So that's from Apple Podcast, guys. So if you're <laughs> per our analytics, roughly seventy five percent of you guys listen on Apple products. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go leave us a five star written review. And again, we'll read off those as we get those in on the outro episodes on these episodes. So we appreciate all that feedback. Appreciate y'all helping us get over a thousand reviews on Apple Podcasts. Y'all are freaking awesome, and I uh, love reading the new reviews. So you know, we haven't heard from Big Buck Nuts. And mm. Thicket Cricket, yeah, we haven't, heard, haven't heard from any of those guys in a, in a while. Those, there's a two long time, long time reviewers. I hope they're okay. I hope they're okay. Yeah, they need to message us so we can send them some free stickers. Yep, yep. So, anyways, yeah, y'all message us. We'll get you some stickers. By the way, we got some merch back up on the website, right? No shirts. You know how many shirts? Uh, I mean, we're we're like almost sold out of well, shirts. Well, that's fine. Well, Very yeah. close to being sold out of shirts. So if you want to go over to the Southern Outdoorsman website, there's a few shirts left, guys. Some of our OG Southern Outdoorsman shirts. Yep. Uh, you can go pick those up. We just had uh, a couple people, uh, a couple listeners uh, purchase those recently. So super excited and uh, working on some other designs right now, guys. Mm-hmm. So hopefully by the, sometime later this summer, we'll have uh, some new merch coming. If not late summer, it'll be early fall. And uh, we'd love to see y'all support there. So yeah, buddy. Appreciate y'all listening and listen. Don't miss Monday's episode, guys. Got some more bangers coming out. Make sure you're watching the podcast on YouTube. Share it with a buddy. If you enjoyed the podcast, share it with a buddy. And uh, we'll be back the next week's episode of Southern Mountain. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the... The, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.